We turn in God's word this morning to 2 Kings chapter 22. We'll be looking at 2 Timothy a a bit uh, this morning as well, though not reading it in its entirety. As many of the things that I want to say this morning have been uh, captured in that form of installation. But we do want to see how they fit in God's uh, uh, plan, how they come from God's holy word. This morning we consider the importance of godly leadership. I want to just read a summary of King Josiah's reign, young King Josiah, and the importance that his reign had upon the people of God, and, and think about that with you this morning, about how leadership matters and how leadership leads Josiah was a great help to the people of God. We read in 2 Kings chapter 22, this in the Word of God. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Then turning over to chapter 23, just the verses 24 and 25 as we look later in Josiah's reign. Josiah put away the mediums and the sorcerers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. May God help us to ponder and to learn from those words this morning. Dear congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Leadership matters. It matters in the political realm. It matters in the athletic arena. It matters in the marketplace. We could give examples of all those situations, the politicians who've, who've risen uh, uh, to the top in times of crisis or to those teams. We often think of the players on the floor as the most important thing, but it's, it was often the coaches behind those players who made the difference, who got these players to know how to play together. Or it was in business. We can think of businesses that were turned around uh, in, uh, in large measure by the leadership. Leadership shapes. Leadership shapes even civilizations. The description of King Josiah is quite something. He did not turn to the right or left, but served the Lord with his whole heart. And where is he serving? Where did this Reformation have to happen. Notice it says it had to happen in Jerusalem, in the land of Judah. It is very possible, even conceivable, and in reality that there are times when even people of God go astray. We recognize our own hearts. We know our sinful tendencies, and leadership is important to keep us going in the right direction. Josiah's leadership followed after his grandfather and his father who had failed to lead Israel. It was an ungodly leadership that had left Israel in decay and in much superstition. Choosing good leaders is 
so important. Choosing godly leaders for the church is crucial. I'm not implying that you don't have a personal responsibility for your spiritual life as though you just live uh, in whatever direction the leaders tell you to go. There is to be a real and vital relationship in your own hearts with the Lord. But I want us to think about the part that um, the part of your responsibility to choose those leaders who are godly, to pray for them, to encourage them in their office, to, to give when they call you to give, to, to show your gifts and to use your gifts when they call you to do so. And for that, we need godly leaders who are sensitive to what is needful for the church, where the church needs to go, how it needs to move forward. It's important to choose godly leaders. It's important to pray for them. It's important to follow. Reverend Terry Johnson put it well when he said in in a sermon on office, election to office, we're careful and we must be careful when choosing our leaders. Now listen carefully, because under the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Christ, the future of the church is in their hands. That's quite a statement. And that ought to lead you men to pray and to Consider and reflect about the responsibility that has been given. And to those of you who continue in office under, to be sure, under the sovereignty of God and the lordship of Christ, you are the ones who take us into the future. That's why we exercise great care and we exercise a great amount of prayer in this process of officer nomination Because the officers we choose will determine the kind of church that we have. The kind of ministry that will be conducted. The shape of this church's ministry. The commitments of this church will be seen in the leadership as Terry Johnson goes on. What's going to be emphasized? What's going to not be emphasized? How we're going to respond to the challenges around us? All of these things are affected by and will be affected by the leadership we have. Now, we're reminded, of course, that the long-term uh, future of the church is in Christ's hands. What does he say? He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not all on the, the shoulders of these men. It's not all on the shoulders of any person here, not all of it, but there is a call to be faithful under the lordship of Christ, to recognize what is it that he is building What is it that he wants to build? The short-term daily decisions. Again, Terry Johnson goes on. Daily decisions determine whether we see revival or ruin, whether we are renewed or wrecked as the challenges of the future are faced. Seems rather dramatic to put it that way until we look at the, the, the life of any nation. And really, we have the nation of Israel before us this morning. We see it in the Scriptures. We can look through it in the Old Testament. What affected the way that they went, the way that they lived? It was their leaders. Now, the people couldn't say, well, it's all the leader's fault. That's why we are the way we are. No, there is personal responsibility to be sure. But that leadership that is set up, that the people are Praying for and looking for matters. It's critical. Now, 
this truth is understood biblically. We have many lists in the Bible, some of which we've heard already in the, the form, just reminding us where they come from. Acts chapter 6 was quoted, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, and Acts chapter 20. Leadership selection must be undertaken with great care and prayer, recognizing what the Bible says leadership is to be. And be careful to not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we overrule God's sovereignty as though, well, our decisions can, can change things and God has to respond and react. But in our choosing, God is leading. He should be leading. He should be guiding us that we are choosing those who would bring honor and glory to Him and that we ourselves would be living in a way that brings honor and glory to God, not desiring that which is not promoted before us in Scripture. It's important how we prepare our leaders. That's why we have candidacy exams for, for pastors. That's why we have officer training for elders and deacons and in an ongoing fashion because it is so very important to remember to keep before us the call to be under Christ and to live for Him and not to go the way of the world. We don't just elect men who have a leadership look about them or who are successful in the world. We're looking for faith Christians. You've heard me say it before. Faithful, available, interdependent, uh, teachable, and humble. That's what we're looking for. This week as I was working on this sermon, I was thinking back to a sermon I preached many years ago and and, uh, I, I thought, boy, I should maybe just use that one for today, but I'm not going to do that this morning, but I want to bring up a few things, and that is preaching through First uh, Samuel some years ago and looking at King Saul. It's very interesting what happened, what had transpired. If you remember what's leading up to First Samuel chapter 9, First Samuel chapter 8, they turn away from Samuel. They say, your, your sons are not worthy to be leaders, and that, that may have been true, but They don't go to God and ask what to do. They say, we want a king. We want a leader like all the other nations. And Samuel is distraught, and he goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, give them the king. It's not you they've rejected, but me. But what's interesting about Saul, as he's described, is his outward appearance is what is so uh, emphasized. Listen to First Samuel chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He looked like a king. Well, that, if we're going to have a king like all the na- other nations, we want one that's going to be nice and tall. Now we've got some tall officers that were just installed, but that's not why we selected them. I do have to look up to them, and I hope I can look up to them spiritually as well. But that's not why we elect them. We, we, we don't look for outward appearance. And yet that's what the people wanted. They said, well, Saul, he's going to be impressive before the nations. If we have a king like that, they're going to say, well, that must be a powerful nation. Look at the leader they've selected. What isn't mentioned about Saul? His relationship to the Lord. 
In fact, what we have there, if we go on, I wasn't going to preach on 1 Samuel 9, but maybe just a, just a little. What we have there is, is Saul is, is uh, uh, described as one who didn't even know who Samuel was. He stands right before Samuel and he says, uh, where's the seer that I'm looking for? Where's the prophet? What does that tell us about him? He's not acquainted with the Lord because it was through the prophet of the Lord that the word of the Lord came. And he, he, didn't even, he couldn't even recognize Samuel, which would imply that he has no notion of hearing the Lord or going to receive a word from the Lord. This is not a, this is not a good way to start off, if you will, in 1 Samuel 9 as the people are looking for a king like all the other nations. And that's what they wanted. The people wanted a king like all the other nations. What they needed was to be a people submitting to their true king, the Lord Almighty. Saul's leadership proved detrimental detrimental to Israel's spiritual growth and to their security. And I just bring that up this morning to illustrate how important leadership is and how careful we ought to be in leadership selection, not not neglecting what God says in his word ought to be a part of or ought to be at front and center of our election, our choice of leaders. We look for what God is looking for. This morning there's a mixture of things in the sermon, the importance of leadership and then choosing good leaders and calling leaders to know their office and to execute it faithfully according to God's word. That good leadership follows the pattern set forth in Scripture. That's the second point this morning. The, the, what does it look like? Leadership leads. That's obvious. But is it? Is it so very obvious? We are told in the Scriptures that there is a position of leadership given in the household. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, is. It doesn't say might be, that he could be if he really proves himself well. It says he is. And if he is absent in leadership, he's not saying, well, I just, I just have chosen not to be a leader. No, he's being a poor leader. He's not leading, though he is in a position of leadership. These men have been elected this morning to lead So they are called to make decisions. They are called to follow the Lord and to lead the church. They can't simply look around and say, well, how are things going? What what direction should we go? Well, that looks like that's that's the way we should go. That seems to be where the momentum is. That's not good leadership. Leaders don't look around to see what the greatest number are doing, looking for the path of least resistance and then bringing people into that stream, as it were, which means leadership requires courage, requires conviction, because it isn't always so clear to those around us what way we should go. But it is in this word that we find our direction, that we find our leadership. Think back to Josiah. What What's going on there? He followed his wicked grandfather Manasseh, his wicked father Ammon. And how are they uh, 
Uh, well, before we get to how they're described, it, we, we can recognize there certainly would have been a pressure on him to maintain status quo. The people weren't complaining about the leadership. Manasseh was introducing all kinds of spiritual mysticism. Ammon was just abandoning God, worship of God altogether, and it made things much, much more lax and easy. And the people said, this is wonderful. Josiah was likely felt the pressure of just maintaining status quo. And then the law is discovered... God in his mercy reveals his word. Hilkiah finds it in the house in the temple of the Lord. And Josiah has a decision, status quo, or call the people to follow their true king. We know what's easier, staying the course, or today the, famous, the, 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 the familiar thing to us is take a survey and then find out what, people, what the people want and then, and then just follow according to, to whatever the survey finds. But these men who were before Josiah were not men to look up to. The Lord gave his judgment about Manasseh and about Ammon. He said of Manasseh that he made the people to sin to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and Ammon, his son, abandoned the Lord. Josiah heard the word read. And when he heard the word of the Lord, he did the only reasonable thing. He repented and he told the priest to go and inquire of the Lord what they all must do. (laughs) Where do you look? You look to the word. You consider what God says. And then you respond. Not in just consideration. That can stop short of taking action, but in taking action. In obeying. The people, we know what they had to do. They needed to repent and to seek God's forgiveness. And that really is at the heart of God's people. Every day we are to repent daily of our sins. We are to look regularly at Christ and delight in Him for He is our salvation. We're saved by faith in Christ free from sin's curse, and freed then from the power of sin. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I was, as I was studying this for the sermon this week, I, I intended to use the letters of Paul to Timothy, um, and, I, and I will, and yet, but I'm, but I'm not going to, to, to preach through them so much as to, to look at what that, the Word says, and particularly 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where Paul writes this to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Well, there you have it. Elders, deacons, follow. Follow the pattern of sound words that have been passed on. The doctrines, the sound traditions, practices of God's people in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Trusting in Christ alone for salvation and showing the love of Christ and the execution of the office. How? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within 
who dwells within, to guard that good deposit. Paul's, in, in Paul's letters to Timothy, we hear what's close to his heart. It's faithfulness to God's Word. And that is a word for all of us. What should be close to our heart? It should be that faithfulness to God's Word. And these words were not only for Timothy, but for all believers. He expected this, these letters to be read to the churches and practiced in all the churches. What does he warn of? He warns of false teachers protecting the flock from false doctrine. He warns of godlessness in the last days. He warns that people would become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Money can be a snare as well, and the people of God must be led by God's officers to turn from love of money, being content with what God has given, and giving generously to those in need. And, and so many more things, the love of most growing cold, to show what it looks like to love one another, to lead by example. He assured Timothy what? He assured him of what? He assured him that the Word of God is sufficient to guide in that. It is sufficient. It is powerful to regulate and to found and to establish God's people in the truth as the Belgic Confession, Article 5, captures it from Scripture. The Word is authoritative. It must be obeyed. Most of what he says here in His letters to Timothy is for the elders, but he urges love and mercy ministry as well to guide the diaconate. Read through those books. Remember what God would have you to do in your office. Paul says there, as we look just a bit at some of the things he says in the the letters, that that you are as officers to be on fire for the word of the Lord to fan into flame that gift that God gives to you, to be zealous to do the work of the Lord, never letting your zeal waver, but looking to Him for strength. He calls you to, as elders, guard the good deposit, to teach the Word, to disciple the flock. Told Timothy and the elders to take heed to themselves. Elders and deacons, take heed to yourselves. That what you teach, that what you you impart to the congregation, you know personally. The gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, is as precious to you as it ought to be to others. Be sure that the saving grace that you proclaim to others is gripped by your own souls, Richard Baxter says. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ, no less than anyone else here in this congregation. Assurance of eternal life is found in Christ, not in person in a person's works or earthly position. Related to that, however, is that we are to live out that faith. It is to be demonstrated. We are to show that we understand our connection to Christ. That is, we bear much fruit in keeping with repentance. I had some people come to the door this week to 
share with me some good news, and we had a conversation about that. And where is our assurance found, and how do good works fit into all of that? It was a rather interesting conversation, but it was very needful to point out that we are not saved by our works, but yeah, we are at the same time demonstrating our faith in our living for the Lord. Our rest is in Christ. He is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption, wisdom from God. But as His Spirit comes, His Holy Spirit, we are transformed. Well, Paul goes on to say, do not be ashamed of what the Word says. The cross may be foolishness to those perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. The Bible speaks clearly of who we are, sinners needing to be rescued from ourselves. Don't be ashamed to speak of that, to tell of that. You may not receive the praise of men, but you will be received with joy into heaven on that day. We could go through these two letters verse by verse and glean much good for leadership. We've seen how we are not to be ashamed, how we're to take heed to ourselves and to the flock, how we're to guard the good deposit, but also to rightly handle the word of truth, understand how to take that word and to apply that word to your own lives and to the church and making application that it would be measurable, that it would be specific, that you see benchmarks of growth, that you would call the congregation to the same. How do we grow? By taking measurable applications, specific applications, so we can see what is happening in our lives. Beware of the godlessness of the age. 2 Timothy 3 really highlights or gives the lowlights of the last days as we see them. People being lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, and on and on the list goes. We must beware of following the world where there is so much of godlessness. Brothers and people of God, there is a battle going on for the souls of this congregation. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We must stand against the devil and his schemes. He wants nothing more for this church and every church, every faithful church, that its leadership and its members would flame out or just become apathetic about the word, become disinterested. We must understand, as the prophets of old said, when I ate this word, it was sweet to the taste. Food for the soul. As I read through First and Second Timothy this week, I was amazed again at how many examples Paul gives of those who turned away from the truth. There's Phygelus and Hermogenes. There's Demas. There's uh, uh, others in this, in this book. He, he uses Janus and Jambres, how they stood over against Moses. He shows example after example after example in the covenant community of those who turned away, who just said, I'm, I'm not interested. It's a warning to us all, dear people of God, that we turn not away 
from the Lord. We're not immune to attacks from within to the devil's schemes. And what does Paul say then, Ephesians 6? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Putting on the helmet of salvation, breastplate of faith, and all of the listing of the gospel armor. Press on in the work given to you, elders, deacons, that you might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Press on in all of those matters that have been mentioned already in the installation form this morning, captured in the Word, set before the people of God His clear teaching, set before them example. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, set example. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Verse 12. And he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have. Practice these things. Immerse yourself. Immerse yourself in them. So that all may see your progress. That ought to be identified, the progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. Take heed to yourself and, on the t- and the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, now these words from Paul are to Timothy as pastor, but they apply to the other offices as well. Good and godly leadership matters in the church. How you lead Good and godly leadership is not passed on through the signing of a form, though public assent to the teachings of Scripture is a good and godly practice to identify that you walk in that way. But to all I say this, remember the Lord your Savior. Remember your leaders. Pray for them. Encourage them. Give as they ask. And even when they're not asking, as you have been blessed, Consider the Lord Jesus Christ and his submission to the Father. In perfection, he did not turn to the right or to the left. He has one salvation for his people. We trust in him alone for our salvation, and we follow after him in serving the Lord. This idea of example is picked up by the writer of Hebrews. He says this, Remember your leaders those who spoke to you from the Word of God. Perhaps you can remember a pastor that you've heard or, or maybe an elder, maybe a deacon that meant very much to you at a time in your, in your life when you were encouraged or needed to be encouraged. Remember those. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews thirteen seven. Leadership matters. Leadership leads. It's part and parcel of God's sovereign work in the church. So we are to listen carefully. We are to obey humbly in all action, praying on all occasions, not turning to the right or to the left, remembering Christ's promise that I will build my church and I am with you to the very end of the age. 
Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled. Listen to me. Walk in that right path that God might be glorified in his people. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, our patient Heavenly Father, our powerful Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask for your grace and mercy daily. Grant us what we need. Strengthen our leaders. Cause us to be men and women, boys and girls of conviction. To stand for what we know to be right. To love and to care for those around us. Grant us perseverance. May we remember the examples of old, the King Josiahs. Think of the political figures who stepped in in tumultuous times. Think of our parents. Oh Lord, we thank you for their testimony. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would cause us to want to walk in that right path. And that when we are weak and weary, we would not forget to pray and to, to seek strength from you. For you promise to give us all that we need for life and godliness. We ask that you would hear us in all these things now, for Jesus' sake. Amen.